This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Today, listeners, we have the founder of Human Proof Designs on our show. Human Proof Designs is a service-based business that helps clients build online businesses through affiliate marketing and they create ready-made niche sites that are worth buying. Human Proof Designs has built over 600 affiliate websites, written 8,400 articles, and researched over 27,000 keywords. Dominic is a specialist in web design, article outsourcing, Odesk, SEO, building and running a team, and scaling a service-based business. Today, we're going to talk with Dominic about affiliate and niche marketing in 2017. We will also dive into team building and managing and the growth of Human Proof Designs and how to scale a service-based business. With that, let's jump into the show. Hi, Dominic. How are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. We're going to jump into your past a little bit and learn how you gain these skills to build human-proof designs and become the entrepreneur you are today. So can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, sure. So for me, my journey online and in internet marketing started around the end of the summer 2012. So that was about four and a half years ago. Um, and essentially, I kind of followed a path that a lot of people followed, which is I read the four-hour workweek book. And um, I kind of just followed my nose and learned about affiliate marketing from there. And I basically spent about one, one and a half years learning affiliate sites. And I started to make um, a few hundred dollars a month through that and then I, I, I realized I could make a bit more money and I realized I should get serious about it so that's what I started to do and then about a year and a half later towards the end of 2013 I I started becoming I started paying attention to websites like Flipper where you can build websites and sell them and it's kind of like the eBay of website selling yeah um and I noticed that there was a lot of junk on Flipper. And I mean, there's some good stuff as well. Um, it's just the nature of the marketplace that there's a lot of junk. And I realized a lot of beginners were falling for these kind of fake promises that a lot of junk sellers were putting out there. Um, so I thought, well, I'm pretty good at building affiliate sites and researching them by this point. So why don't I start offering quality sites that are actually good and I'm not kind of making things up about how well they'll do and that's kind of how it started and I actually started out selling on Flipper and then I realized quite quickly that was a bad idea because I was competing with all these kind of snake oil salesmen um, so I just decided to kind of build my own brand and build my own authority site and sell directly on my site um, and that's kind of where I am at today. I think it's all it's definitely all about quality when it comes to building a long-term business for sure. I have a similar story Dominic and I don't know if you're familiar with it but I started building some niche websites in 2009 after I read the book The 4-Hour Workweek. That was back in the day when it was easier to get them ranked and then in 2011 Google wrote an algorithm that wiped out the income for those websites. 
and I was a bit devastated because I had just moved to Costa Rica and I was living on the beach and I was like, oh, no, I no longer have income coming in. <laughs> but it was a cool experience. And I'm curious, as we go through the podcast, to learn more about how it's really changed because I haven't dug too much into that area since 2011. Yeah, about late 2011 or so. Let's dive into human-proof designs. Can you tell us about human-proof designs and what you guys are doing today? Yeah, sure. So since I first started and um, uh, started blogging and trying to teach people what I do so that they would be interested, um, the what we do has evolved a bit over the years. And our core product now is we build these kind of done-for-you ready-made affiliate sites where we research the niche, uh, we do the keyword research, and we write some articles as a kind of foundation for the site, and then we hand it over to the buyer. Um, but in the kind of broader dynamic, uh, the bigger picture, we, um, we're basically about teaching people how to actually use the sites. And through our teaching, some people don't even buy any sites from us. They build their own sites or they already have sites. Um, because I'm kind of, I feel it doesn't really matter whether you buy a site from us or from a competitor or whether you build your own site. Um, what really matters is that you learn how to use it. It's like building your own guitar versus buying a guitar. You need to actually learn to play it. Um, so that's kind of our our philosophy, basically. We, we just want to teach people to do as, as, as well as they can. So we, we might do that through case studies or just through um, researching and we just basically, we, we still have our own portfolios that we maintain. So we, we're always kind of in the trenches and then we just share what we learn. What do you enjoy about this business? Um, <laughs> I think that changes on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> I, I still actually really enjoy building my own affiliate sites and when I'm researching stuff that I can share with my audience, I, I really, um, uh, look forward to that. Um, I, I still look forward to producing content, although I don't do it as much myself anymore because I've, I've kind of naturally moved to more of a CEO type role within the company and we have someone else who does the content. Mm. Um, and I just enjoy researching and developing new, new offers and new services. So how has the niche side affiliate marketing world changed from you started in 2012 correct or 2011 yeah 2012 how has it changed between 2012 and 2017 um i mean the fundamentals are still kind of there because 2012 was like i kind of grew up in a post penguin world so um for someone like you from 2010 to 2017, there's a huge change. But for me, it's kind of been more of a slow change. I would say the main thing is that it takes longer to get ranked in Google now. Mm -hmm. um, exact match domains still work to some extent, but for the most part, they don't. Um, so we're looking at maybe six months before a website starts to get a lot of Google traffic, whereas before it was maybe, I mean, it could have been six days. So that's the main thing. But in terms of the fundamentals, it's still very much a case of um, write good content, build quality links rather than the spammy stuff that worked before. Um, mm -hmm. 
answer your audience's questions, use affiliate links. It's, it's pretty much the same fundamental uh, techniques. When you started out, Dom, were you doing most of the work yourself? And, and when did you get to a point? Did you do any outsourcing or did you just start hiring employees? Or how'd that process go for you? So when I first started out, I didn't have a huge budget. Um, I was living in Taiwan at the time, teaching English, so I had an income, but it was only like a kind of, like it was an okay income for Taiwan, and I was saving money every month, but I didn't have a lot of money to invest in the business, and what money I did have, I basically invested in training and tools and stuff like that. So I did everything myself, um, and the first outsourcing I started to do was actually once Human Proof Designs was growing to the point where I couldn't build every website for a customer myself mm -hmm. because maybe we had 10 customers a week and I just couldn't get it done. Um, I obviously started hiring writers as well to help create the content for customer websites. Um, so my first real hires were writers, which would be done with things like Upwork, um, and then a web developer to help me build sites, and then you know, then you've got a project manager, and now we have a whole, a whole team. So, yeah, I pretty much learned how to do everything myself, and then I slowly replaced myself in individual tasks over time. What do you see today that you feel like entrepreneurs that are in this in this space, the niche affiliate space? Uh, what do you see that you think a lot of people are missing? Um, maybe belief in themselves. Um, okay. Because when people used to quit after sort of six, seven months, I would think they know it works. Why are they quitting? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, do they think that someone was lying to them and they just give up or, <laughs> or is it something else? And I realized that people might think, I know that affiliate marketing works, I know it takes time, I know other people are succeeding with it, but for some reason we just kind of feel that we can't do it ourselves. I mean, even in my own business, I might see someone else who has a, a service-based business who's doing really well, and I think, why am I struggling with that aspect? Um, so I think it's, it's definitely the sooner that people see results, the more they can hang around later. Um, so it's kind of like this this tenacity and this self-belief and self-drive to keep going that I think more people would benefit from. Yep, being consistent and, and persevere, right? So you've done really well for yourself with your business in the past five years. How long did it take you just to start to see substantial growth? It was quite slow at the beginning, um, which in hindsight, I think that's natural. But at the time, I was, you know, I couldn't wait to quit my job and every dollar couldn't come fast enough, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, but it took me about 18 months before I was earning like $1,000 a month. Um, so I really did struggle and I got to about three, 400 quite quickly, but then I couldn't get it higher. But once I did finally crack 1,000, I think the next month we did 2,000 or even 3,000, and then within another eight months, 10 months, we were doing 10,000 a month. So I think it's just once you finally see 
steps and you finally start getting traction and people realize you're not this overnight website that you're going to be around long enough um then it really starts to snowball yeah i'd agree and so it was about 2014 or so or late 2013 when you guys started the growth started happening for you yeah, I think right at the end of 2014, I started connecting with other influencers in the space. Mm -hmm. So people like uh, the Empire Flippers guys, a um, couple of other people who already had big audiences realized that maybe I was worth paying attention to. And so they mm -hmm. would, you know, they would mention me on their podcasts or they would let me guest post for them. And I started for most of 2015. I think my highest uh, revenue source came from referral traffic. So mm -hmm. that's a yeah, that was like the game changer for me. Very cool. And so you've done. I guess your last year you did really well. Do you mind sharing your numbers with us? Uh, yeah, we did about six hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue. Nice. And so I'd like to d dig in and talk a bit about team building and managing and even scaling a service-based business. So uh, when did you start building your team out? Um, as I mentioned upon earlier, the first thing I started, I, I always outsource content right mm -hmm. from the start because I just, you know, there's no way I could write 10,000 words in a week. Um, so that was always outsourced. And I, in the beginning, I used services like iWriter, places where you can get um, reasonable content in a relatively quick time. Um, and then over time, we've actually started hiring writers in-house instead. So, but the first real hire I made was um, one of my friends who I knew was a WordPress developer, and he was familiar with my business a bit already because he'd helped me out. I said, do you just want to come on board and build out every website? So I'll give you all the content um, and all the other stuff you need, and you actually assemble it. And he agreed. So that's that was my kind of first hire, which was about a year into um, a year into the business. Up until that point, I'd only had about two or three customers a week, so I was able to assemble the sites and everything myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was quite hard for me at first to actually hire someone because when you're building everything yourself, you're getting like ninety percent of the revenue as your profit. Um, and so then suddenly hiring someone, my fear is what happens if, like, okay, so now I'm not going to make as much money per site, but am I going to be able to do a lot more sites? So it was like there was this fear that maybe the capacity wouldn't go up, but the expenses would, or what happens if the additional sales don't come in? But once I got my head around that, I, yeah, I, it, was, it was just fear, basically. How big is your team now, Dom? Um, we have three full-time people below me, so that's my the same web developer um, and a project manager or chief operations officer, and then a content manager. So they're the main full-timers, but then the website building team has now grown, so we have about five or six freelancers working below the original web developer. We have a keyword research team which has a, a manager and four other keyword researchers um, 
So I, I don't know if you're keeping count. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then writers, we probably have about 40 writers who are actually wow. getting regular work from us. And they're the most difficult because some of them get tired of the work or some of them are just looking for a short-term thing. Um, but yeah, full-time, there's, there's only four of us. And then as you go down the tiers, there are various freelancers who might do up to 10 or 20 hours a month with us. So what have been some of the most important lessons for you, Dom, that you've learned in building teams over the past few years and building this team for human proof designs? Um, I think it's important to hire somebody who doesn't have the same skill set as me. Um, I think as the kind of CEO or the, the leader of a company, you can do everything pretty well. But if you end up hiring someone who's very similar to you, they're going to have the same flaws as you. So my original, I, I wasn't very good at kind of management in terms of project management, assigning tasks on time, that sort of thing. And the first project manager I hired was very similar to me, which meant that my flaws were kind of uh, amplified through him. And then the next project manager I hired didn't have the same skills as I had with a lot of things, but in the areas where I was weak, he's three times as good as I am. And um, there's been a huge difference to the company and when he came on board. What are some tips for you to notice your own weaknesses, but also noticing the strengths in a, somebody you bring onto the team and digging in to getting to know them before you bring them on the team so you know they'll be a good fit? Probably need to answer that in several parts. Okay. So uh, identifying your own weaknesses, I think, is quite difficult. Um, I think we all know what, we all think we know what our weaknesses are. Uh, for me, some areas were obvious because if customers were complaining about one thing over and over again, I realized it was probably a sign that I was doing that part wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I also wrote down a list of all the different tasks that I have to do from A to B, like from customer being, or even from them being a prospect to us delivering the website to them. And I kind of really drilled down to all the individual steps. And as I was doing that, it was quite clear to me that there were some that I didn't enjoy and there were some that I wasn't very good at. So it's quite I don't really know whether anyone everyone can do this because some people might they might not be able to identify what they're not good at um, but it's just a case of trying to really think objectively about what you do and what you do well and what you enjoy doing um, so then how to find someone with those skills um, I think it does take a bit of practice and a bit of experience because like I say the first time I did it I was just happy to have someone helping me and I didn't realize that maybe he didn't have the best skills, whereas the second time I knew what to look for. Um, most of my best hires have, in fact, I think all of my best hires have come from my audience. And hmm. that meant that in most cases, I already had a prior relationship with that person because we'd exchanged emails or, or whatever. But also they knew the business very well. Um, they understood the audience. And I think it's just a lot easier to trust someone who you already know and they maybe mention, hey, are you hiring? Um, so I definitely recommend, even if someone doesn't approach you, 
um, I recommend when you when you do start hiring, at least for a kind of key leadership role, then you should hire from your audience. And if you don't have an audience yet that's good enough, then maybe you don't need to worry about hiring at this point. Have you ever interviewed or considered somebody and then realized that, that they just wouldn't be a good fit? Um, yeah, and I'm actually going through that right now. I just posted for a new marketing position within the company, and we've had we've had um, a really good number of high-level candidates, and we've given them various tasks, and at each kind of stage, I might get a clearer picture about who is a better fit and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even before that, before I hired my first web developer, there was another person who I was considering to hire for the first web developer. But I just found he was kind of unnecessarily negotiating on small details and he was more focused about earning an extra $5 per website than he was about whether or not he could do it. And he was just I just kind of felt like, the five dollars was arbitrary at that point, but if you were this kind of person, maybe you weren't the type of person I wanted to hire. Mm. So, like, it's fine for someone to say, "I think I should get more because of this," but the nature that they were doing it in, I just felt, "I'm offering you a job here, and you're kind of like making it out like you're doing me a favor." Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I walked away from that person, and um, they may have been good at the job, but. I felt I didn't really feel bad about choosing somebody else. So let's talk about scaling, scaling this business. I think there's a lot of people that are challenged and have a lot of questions about scaling service-based businesses. And if you can share some of the, some of the things that you think that are important to the listeners about that process and how it worked out for you. Yeah. Um, so for me, the hardest part about scaling was that I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody really blogs about this. You know, I, I just knew how to build niche websites. I didn't really know anything about running a team or, or having meetings and accountability. Um, so I had to figure it out as I went. And I think every person who successfully scales their business does figure it out as they go. I don't think there's a set formula, especially as you have different audiences, different services. Um, but I think any advice I gave to people would be, uh, I think a lot of people drag their feet over hiring, um, especially hiring ahead of the curve. And I know that when I brought on my new project manager full time, not only was it a big, um, it was a big financial investment from my point of view, because I was, I I almost halved my income at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also then set about building a team. So I taught him one aspect of the business, for example, keyword research. He then practiced it for a few months and then he hired four kind of cheaper freelancer keyword researchers. And from there we promoted one of them to a manager. And then he moved to another aspect of my business, learned that and then hired for that. And so as that was going on, our expenses were going up very, very quickly but obviously sales weren't yet going up because I had I was still focusing on training and I wasn't so much I wasn't able to benefit from the additional time I had for marketing efforts. So all I could see was that expenses were going up and my personal profit was going down every month and I was thinking I worked like two years to 
to get to the point where my I'm, I'm earning less with more customers. How does that make sense? <laughs> and so it was quite stressful for a couple of months, and I was thinking maybe I should go back to just having like two employees and making uh, a decent income. Um, and then almost overnight, the the curve kind of balanced out, and suddenly our our revenue skyrocketed, and I I think I tripled my money for the next couple of months, um, and yeah, I realized that we kind of got over the hump because once you do get the team in place and everything's ready and your capacity's increased, then you can make a lot more customers. Um, you know, maybe you, you, your expenses go up 30%, but your ability to handle orders goes up 60%. So as, as, once that 60% arrives, um, it's just a case of rinsing and repeating as you go. Now, after going through that process, do you think you'd build a, if you had the opportunity, to build a service-based business again? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think for everybody, the, the grass is always greener in a different business. Like right now, I'm, I'm really jealous of SaaS businesses because they can scale mm-hmm. a lot more easily. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I'm pretty good at scaling a service-based business now and if I started a new business, maybe it would make sense for me to focus on this because I, I kind of know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm used to the stages, whereas with a SaaS, I would have to learn it all over again. Gotcha. And so when you were scaling your business, what type of resources or leaders or mentors did you or teachers did you use to help you go through this process or did you use any at all? Um, I used quite a few different things. Um, I read a lot of blogs and what other people were talking about. Um, but for the most part, a lot of service-based businesses, they kind of keep what's going on behind the scenes secret and you don't know whether they've just got one Filipino <laughs> who they're pretending is an American. You know, it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. So that I think that actually can confuse you even more because you think, well, how are they doing it? Um, I think a lot of my success, or at least I, I started finding a lot more answers when I started joining forums. Um, mm. So the, the Dynamite Circle was a big one for me because there's just so much information in there. And also the Superfast Business Membership with James Shramko is really helpful because I think a lot of people in that forum have service-based businesses and James himself has a lot of experience with that type of business too. So between those two forums I got a lot more information and I was able to read what other people were going through mm-hmm. and apply it to myself. Um, more recently Digital Marketer HQ has been really helpful because um, they're kind of in the same industry as me but on a higher level and they they teach they've kind of got a blueprint for how to teach and scale a growth team which is exactly where I'm I'm at right now what do you spend most of your time doing these days Dom in the business um, it's it's a mixture I still do my emails every day um, I do still speak to quite a few customers um, I'm not necessarily the first point of contact to them all anymore but I like to be involved um, although I do at the same time really wish I wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's mostly kind of strategic now as well. Um, like maybe I'll say to my content manager, 
let's do this over the next few months and maybe I'll say to my product project manager, um, maybe we need to improve this area over the next few months. So it's kind of, I had no desire when I started the business to ever become like a CEO in a company, but I think that's kind of where I've accidentally ended up. And um, this time a year ago, I was freaking out because I had no idea what I was doing. And suddenly I had all these responsibilities and people people having full-time incomes under me. Um, but I've kind of grown into that role a lot more recently. And um, yeah, it's enjoyable, actually. And what's your your vision for your business in the next five to 10 years, where do you want to go with it? Um, I'd like to obviously reach a lot more people and help a lot more people succeed. So we're going to be releasing uh, a membership of our own so that we can help people out a lot more. And even if people don't want to buy sites from us, we can still help them. Um, I'd also like to, become a more general resource for Amazon affiliate sites um, or even maybe become, you know, the place that people go to to research that. So we kind of want to broaden stuff and and be able to help people without just selling them a website as well. When are you going to uh, open up your membership? Probably by the time this goes live, it will be live. Um, so I'm basically the membership's already up and we've got beta members in and we're just working out a few kinks and making sure the shopping cart and everything works properly so maybe within one or two weeks of us recording this episode so end of january okay very cool and they can find that on the website yeah yeah, yeah i mean i don't know whether it's something that we won't expose people to until they become a subscriber but yeah they'll find if they find our website they'll find our membership very nice I also wanted to mention something before we wrap up. I saw you created a blog post uh, reviewing Jungle Scout, and we actually had the founder, of uh, Greg Mercer, of Jungle Scout on the podcast last week. And the, the title that you put on the blog post was Why Jungle Scout is a Must-Have for Amazon Affiliate Research. And so since you're an expert in this area, um, could you share a little bit of why you guys like Jungle Scout so much? Yeah, um, sure. I actually wrote a post for Jungle Scout as well, which talks about some of the synergies between Amazon FBA and Amazon Affiliates. Um, and I did a webinar with them a few days ago as well. Um, but basically, obviously, uh, Jungle Scout's, you know, it's a tool for FBA, for Amazon sellers, not for affiliates. But what Greg didn't realize, and what a lot of people don't realize is that you can still use Jungle Scout's um, data, the the actual the Chrome extension, to make niche selection a lot better within Amazon affiliates as well. So, for example, normally when an Amazon affiliate wants to choose their niche, they'll just look at keyword research and they'll look at competition, but they won't necessarily look at which products are selling within the industry. Um, so my example was I own a, um, an affiliate site about watches and over time I ranked number one or number two for some, some different types of Rolex watch. So I think if you Google 
uh, Best Rolex or Rolex Submariner Review, my website's one of the top ones. And so I thought, okay, that's fantastic. I, I might not get many sales because it's a $10,000 watch, but if I get one sale a month or two sales a month, that's huge commission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but long story short, I never got any Rolex sales. And I was thinking, is it because my content isn't high enough level? Uh, is it this? Is it that? I, I just had no idea why I wasn't getting any sales. So then I used Jungle Scout and I found out that basically nobody buys Rolexes on Amazon. There's like five sales across the entire Amazon platform per month. So there's no way I was going to capture a, a percentage of that. Um, so that was really insightful for me and I instead focused on other watches and that website now makes a few hundred dollars a month more than it would have done if I was just focusing on trying to get these sales that just weren't going to happen. Excellent. Now, bef before we sign off, Dom, I want to ask you, is, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners about niche side, affiliate marketing or team building and scaling business? Um, so yeah, with affiliate sites, um, actually I can tie them all in together. So if you're going to build affiliate sites and you want to build a team to help you, um, my advice is kind of learn how to do either everything or as much as you can before you start outsourcing, because then you're going to know if the person you're outsourcing it to, whether that's like a freelancer or a VA or a company, you're going to know whether they're doing the correct thing and you're going to be able to do quality control. Um, and the same goes for scaling any business, really. Um, try and do it all yourself and then replace yourself systematically. And um, not only will you be able to tell if the person's doing a better job, but you'll also probably be able to do it for cheaper because you can hire someone and train them up as well. Excellent, my friend. I want to give you a big thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and insight with everybody. If the listeners want to reach out to you, where's the best way they can do that at, Dom? Um, they can just come to humanproofdesigns.com. They can use the contact form there. Or we also have a free Facebook group, which is Niche Site Entrepreneurs or Niche Site Entrepreneurs if you're American. And yeah, they can just come and find us there and join in the discussions perfect we'll put both those up on the show notes again thank you very much dom thank you listeners for tuning in and we will see you all on the next podcast bye everybody the entrepreneur house is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also 
full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.